Thank you so much. You know, scripture says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And what a blessing when it's joyful and beautiful. Thank you so much for that wonderful ministry of music to us this morning. And good morning, Christ Church, to those of you who are here in this space or if you are joining us online. I am so thrilled to be with you and digging into the word this morning. You know, over the last few days, I was in Iowa City, Iowa, staying at a hotel with my mom while my dad was in the hospital for a procedure. And as we were waiting for him to be released, my mom and I, um, the last few nights we were flipping through TV trying to kill time and we were watching movies. And every single channel we turned to, we found that they were playing either a romance movie or a romantic comedy. And I kept thinking, is this all that they have on TV? And then it dawned on me. It's Valentine's Day weekend. This is a day in which some people either excitedly lean into a romantic comedy or you do whatever you can to avoid them. And I know I myself tend to like them. In fact, there's a few that I can think of that, that are just absolutely legendary romantic or romantic comedy movies to me. One that stands out the most is, is a 1989 movie with John Cusack. Perhaps you remember it. The movie Say Anything. There's this iconic scene where he steps out to pursue the love of his life by the name of Diane, and he holds up a boombox in the air outside of her bedroom. And he plays the song, In Your Eyes. And I remember the first time I saw that as a teenager, I thought, oh, if someone ever shows up at the base of my house, outside of my bedroom with a boombox playing that song, I am all theirs. Or how about the movie Titanic? I went on one of my first dates as a freshman in high school to see that movie Titanic. And there's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio Jack holds Kate Winslet, known as Rose. He, he holds her at the bow of the ship right there. And he says, you want to fly? He says, close your eyes. And as he holds her there, she puts her arms out and she then opens her eyes. And she's just there gliding above the water as if she's flying. Or how about the movie Sleepus in Seattle? This couple, they, they talk over the phone for days and days and days and months go on. They decide whether or not they're going to meet. And eventually at the very end of the movie, when you think that they are going to once again be like two ships passing in the night, this is with Tom Hanks and, and Meg Ryan, which by the way, such an awesome romantic comedy pair. They've been in a few together. But finally at last, they make their way at the top of the Empire State Building and they meet and the movie ends with them going hand in hand on the elevator as the elevator doors close. For me at least, some of these movies have profoundly shaped my worldview of what romance ought to be like. That they have profoundly shaped my worldview and understanding of what love ought to be like, at least it did for a teenager. And so when I got married, at first I had really high expectations of what our marriage should be like. I mentioned last week that I remember this was shaping me in really big ways after watching a few episodes of The Bachelor and seeing these really romantic dates when they, they have a date in a helicopter and they get off and they find themselves in a beach and they have a picnic on the beach and it's just the most glorious and beautiful romantic scene. And I realized maybe this was shaping my worldview and understanding of romance a little bit too much and my expectations were a little bit high. There's all sorts of things in this world 
that shape our view of love and of relationships and marriage for better or for worse. Whether it be as a young boy, the locker room talk, or girlfriends gabbing or talking in a coffee shop. And certainly today being Valentine's Day, Hallmark wants us to have a particular view of what love and romance is. And in their view, it's buying a really expensive card from Hallmark and maybe some Walgreens flowers. This is our second week of our two-week series, so this is love. Where together we've been talking about a biblical Christian view of marriage. And last week we unpacked why marriages sometimes fail. And then we talked about what a redeemed marriage in Christ looks like. And if you missed last week, I encourage you when you get home, or if you're home now, to later to dive into this message because it's really kind of a two-part series. But no worries, if you, if you didn't get to, to watch last week or if you weren't here last week, you'll be able to pick up right where we left off. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about what it is that shapes the worldview of a Christian marriage. Of course, no doubt we've been shaped by a lot of things, but as Christians, we wanna be shaped. We wanna have a vision of something greater, something deeper. See, scripture calls us to take our cues from something higher. In fact, our marriages are to be marked by something drastically different than what we get from a romantic comedy or from what the world has to offer. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians written by someone by the name of the Apostle Paul where he gives us a very clear vision of marriage. And he tells us to take our cues from someone in particular. So we're going to look at this text coming from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. If you do happen to have your Bibles with you wherever you are, if you're here at home, go ahead and pull them out. Ephesians is is somewhat towards the end of the Bible, and we're going to look at chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, and we're going to read through verse 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present to her himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives at their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, 
Each one of you also must love his wife as he does himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some of you might be thinking, you want us to take our cues from an old-fashioned idea of submission. I've done a wedding or two, and oftentimes when I am counseling the couple, the young woman will say, we can do any passage of scripture in our wedding, just don't do that text that talks about submission. We don't want any of that. Some of you might be thinking, this is just an old-fashioned way, but just hang on for a moment because this is a profound and beautiful passage of scripture even for this female pastor. You see, this passage of scripture sits in a larger story that is the story of God and to better understand the gravity of what it is that Paul is saying here, we want to couch this within the grand and larger story of God and we're gonna look at just a couple of passages of scripture that we looked at last week. You see, in the beginning, we we talked about last week that we see God's grand ideal for man and woman. We discovered that they were co-laborers together. God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So here we see the creation text in which God created them, which was radical in the ancient Near Eastern culture. In a world where men held the power in a world where there was a hierarchy. This text was written that paints this beautiful picture of equality. We see that man and woman are created equally. And then also notice the instructions that are given to man and woman. It doesn't say men will rule over the earth and the animals or the birds of the sea but it says together they will rule over the animals and the birds and the sea, that together they would rule. And so then we we go to Genesis chapter two, verse 28, and we see this creation account continuing in greater detail. It says that the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, for those that were here last week, we unpacked this word helper a little bit. This word helper is the Hebrew word azar. Now, oftentimes, we use this to paint the picture of hierarchy. Adam was created first, then Eve, because Eve was a helper underneath Adam. We see uh, often to hear a picture of subordination. However, when we look at this word azer, we see that it is also used to describe God. For example, in Psalm chapter 10, verse 14, it says that you are the helper of the fatherless. 
God is also the Azer, and God is not subordinate to humanity. So then we continue on to Genesis 2, 23. It says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is another way of saying, this is me and another form. So we see togetherness. We see equality. And we see just a few verses later that they were among one another vulnerably without shame. There was a cohesive togetherness in the beginning and there was no hierarchy. So what went wrong? Well, the curses came along. Sin entered the scene. The world became broken. There was a new kind of broken reality in this world And once sin enters the scene, we see the curses, or we hear the curses begin to roll out. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, one such curse is this. Your desire will be towards your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, when we read this passage, God doesn't say, finally, this is how I wanted things to be. I want this back and forth for women to desire to seek to control their husbands and I want husbands to rule over their wives. No, this curse comes after the fall. And many scholars will point out that this is a description of how things are going to be. See, as we move through the rest of our passages this morning, it's going to be really important that we understand the differences between descriptive and prescriptive. See, sometimes in in scripture we see a prescriptive reality. The Ten Commandments, that is prescriptive. In Genesis chapter three, when we see the curses, God is declaring a descriptive reality of how the world is going to be. We see then the backdrop of the curses, of the brokenness, and the sin and fall as a descriptive reality throughout scripture. And so this is how marriages are going to be. They're going to be fraught with difficulty. Marriages are going to be hard. There's going to be a back and forth, my way, no my way, no my way, no my way. And some of you, maybe you've never experienced that, but I have. I have felt the impact of the fall in my own marriage. So in the beginning, we see this beautiful reality of how marriages ought to be. Then the fall enters the scene, and then we see a descriptive reality of how life is going to be because of sin and brokenness of the world. The struggle is real, as they say. So now what? Well, we are good news people, are we not? Jesus. You see, because of the faithfulness of King Jesus, because of the life, the teachings, the death on the cross, the resurrection and the ascension to the throne, the power that the curses hold over creation have been broken at last, and now all who are in Christ are called to live in a new reality. We are called to live in a way 
where the curses no longer have control or power over our lives, and instead we live in the power of the cross. You see, a Christian marriage then is marked by the cross and not the brokenness of the fall. You see, the cross, at the cross, The curses are reversed and flipped upside down on their head. And Jesus steps into this context where there is power of the curses. Jesus steps into it and shows and teaches and propels us to a new and subversive and counter-cultural way. The way of Jesus is not my way, no my way, no my way. The way of Jesus is not lording over or powering over. But instead, we see the way of Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 13, as one example. When Jesus stoops down low and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, he says, now, do you understand what I've done for you? He says, now that I, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, the power of the curse invites us into a tug-of-war match, of fighting for my way, of seeking to control one another. But Jesus propels us to a new reality in our relationships. Instead of my way, it's let me stoop down low wash your feet? How can I come alongside of you? How can I put you first? This is the type of power or way that Jesus calls us to. Away from the curse, marked by the cross, and the power of the resurrection, entering into a new reality. So then when we arrive to Ephesians chapter 5, the text that we read at the beginning here, this passage, Paul is pushing us to this new reality where the curses have been broken. And see, just as we must read this passage in light of the entire story of God, we also must read this passage in light of the entire chapter. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse One, Paul tells us where we're going to take our cues for marriage. He says this, to set up this whole chapter, he says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he begins this chapter by talking about what life in the spirit looks like. And then he gives examples of what this life in the spirit looks like. So he begins by saying, we're gonna take our cues from Jesus. And he talks about life and community, and then he talks about marriage. And he says, where are we going to look? Where are we gonna be shaped? Where are we gonna get our worldview? We're going to get it from Jesus. And he sets this up before we even get into the passage on submission. So then when we scroll down just a few more passages to Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 21, Paul says, what does it look like to be imitators of God? 
submit to one another. See, oftentimes, you hear many well-meaning Christians jump to verse 22 where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But before he says that, he says, submit to one another. Just as Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice and a fragrant offering. So he calls them to submit to one another and then in verse 22, yes, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And then he says, for the husband is the head of the church, his body in which he is the savior. Now many scholars point out that as Paul steps into this text, he is stepping into a reality where there is a structure in the household. You see, we see this in, a, in Colossians chapter three as well when it talks about slaves and children and family, there is a hierarchy. And so as he begins to describe this, he's giving us a descriptive reality of the home. And the descriptive reality of the home is that husbands are the head of the household. And he says, so wives, submit to your husbands. And remember, he says this after he says, submit to one another. But then, It's almost as if he's saying, okay, so husbands, if you're head of the house, how are you going to live it? And he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? By laying down his life, by propelling us to a new kind of way where the power of the curse is not over our lives. But, but Christ laid down his life by stooping down low, by emptying himself, by washing the feet, and laying down his life to the point of death at the cross. It was never a power over kind of way as Greg Boyd often talks about this powering over or powering under, but instead it is a cross-like kind of love. Not who's in charge, but how can I love you? You see, Christian marriage then isn't marked just by a one-way submission, but Christian marriage is marked by a two-way submission, just as Christ shows us. You first, Let me wash your feet. How can I come alongside of you? How can I serve you? You see, in my own marriage, we often get questions with me being a pastor and Jeff being a layman. You see, sometimes I submit to Jeff. Sometimes Jeff submits to me. Sometimes Jeff makes decisions. Sometimes I make the decisions. Sometimes we make the decisions together. And our marriage in the eyes of many, especially in this evangelical Christian world, is seen as countercultural, and we get a lot of questions. How's it going to work if you're the pastor? How's it going to work? I remember when we first got married, we knew When we got married, we knew that I had a call in my life and that I was going to be a pastor. Jeff knew what he was getting into. (laughs) 
And I can remember early on we were sitting with someone and, and someone said, well, how are you going to submit to Jeff if God calls you to another church? What's that going to look like? And I remember being just so confused by that question because it was our understanding that we submit together and that we see God in our decisions together. And sometimes to the world it has looked radically upside down. Remember there was a season when Jeff was working at Lockheed Martin on the next presidential helicopter and we felt a call back to the Midwest. And Jeff left his job and I remember his boss saying to him, you, you're, you're doing what? And you don't have a job? And for seven months, Jeff worked at Olive Garden. There's nothing wrong with working there, not at all. But what an incredible testimony. My husband, this Christ-like humility. And we've seen that happen time and time again. When we were in California, Jeff was working for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And my father came down with cancer and, and another family member became ill and we knew that it was time to move back and we prayed about it together. Every decision we have prayed about together, we have sought the Lord together, we have asked the Lord together. And we made this decision before Jeff even knew for sure he would have a job. But he's never once shown bitterness. He's never once shown regret. But instead what I see in my husband over and over and over is the Christ-like humility. It isn't I'm in charge, and it's certainly on my side not I'm in charge, though we have our moments. But instead the type of marriage that we see Christ propelling us towards is one where the curse is broken in a new kind of way of togetherness, of mutual submission to one another as we submit to the one and true King Jesus, the Spirit guiding us. You see, where is it that you are taking your cues? What is shaping your worldview of marriage? It's either going to be the brokenness of the fall or the way of Jesus. And oftentimes a mixture of both. But see, they're two very distinct ways. The brokenness of the fall is shaped by the world. The way of Jesus is shaped by Jesus. The brokenness of the fall declares me first, but the way of Jesus says you first. The brokenness of the fall says, my needs only, but the way of Jesus says, how can I meet your needs? The brokenness of the fall says, I'm in charge, I rule over. But the way of Jesus says, Jesus is in charge, and we're in this together. The brokenness of the fall says, submit only to the husband as the husband rules over. But the way of Jesus says, submit together serve one another. The brokenness of the fall says, serve me, but the way of Jesus says, how can I serve you? The brokenness of the fall says, I'm in power, but the way of Jesus says, how can I empower you? The brokenness of the fall says, Lord over, but the way of Jesus says, Jesus is Lord. See the difference? Fight for my way. 
reconciliation, common ground. What's best for me? What's best for you, for us? An inflated view of myself, a truthful view of myself in light of Christ. An inflated view of my spouse, a gracious and honest view of my spouse. Eros or sensual love only, agape, abiding, covenant love, quick to give up, and abiding commitment. The brokenness of the fall or the way of Jesus. My dear friend, Mandy Smith, writes this brilliant story in her book, The Vulnerable Pastor, where she tells a story about a man named Joe who, who is climbing the Andes mountain with a friend up 21,000 feet. And right as they neared the top, he fell into a crevasse and broke his leg. Was stuck there for hours. And eventually a blizzard hit and a great storm came and he had to make a choice and he had to cut his rope. And he had to choose, was he gonna climb himself up out of the situation, which is what intuition would tell us? Or was he going to lower himself deeper into the crevasse, losing control, not knowing where it was headed? in such an counterintuitive way, instead of climbing and clawing his way to the top, he lowered himself, lower, lower, lower. And of course, we know that he made his way to freedom as we were able to hear about this harrowing experience, but my friend Mandy Smith reflects this. She said, what if we too, instead of a futile effort of inching ourselves to the top of climbing over one another, fighting for our way, what if we made that same counterintuitive, countercultural choice? Lower myself, lower myself, lower just in the way of Jesus. The brokenness of the fall tells us to fight, to climb over my way, rule over. But at the cross, that curse has been broken. And Jesus calls us to lower, lower, lower. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to be marked by the fall. That in you the curse has been broken. So Lord, we pray that we would take our cues from you. From God. And Christ who gave himself up as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice who lowered himself by laying down his life at the cross 
And there at the cross, the power of sin has been broken. Lord, may we choose the way of the cross in our relationships and in our marriages. God, I pray for any marriage that is in a tug-of-war match right now. We pray for the power of the cross to shape, to set them free, to heal, to reconcile, and that you would propel us to the way of Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.